Hello, this is Gino Church, co-author of The Passion Conversation, and this is The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others, as one of the top marketing podcasts. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection in with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. All right, let's get on with the show. Today I'm joined by Gino Church, and we're going to talk about the book, The Passion Conversation, Understanding, Sparking, and Sustaining Word-of-Mouth Marketing, which he co-authored with his partners at the word-of-mouth agency, Brains on Fire, where he is the word-of-mouth inspiration officer. Gino is also a highly sought-after speaker and keynoter and is widely quoted in the news media. He has been to Disney World 35 times and counting. Gino, congratulations on the passion conversation and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much, Douglas. I thought you were going to congratulate me on the 35 times I've been to Disney. Well, both, both. But, um, <laughs> Gino, uh, you're presence on the Marketing Book Podcast marks a diversity milestone for the show. You are the first marketing book author with a Southern accent to appear <laughs> on the show. Well, that's an honor. Yeah. Well, Thank you. Thank uh, you. And uh, I, I noticed in uh, your bio or in the book somewhere, you said that moonshine and bootlegging run on both sides of your family. It, it does, and I actually didn't find out about that till probably about a year ago because my parents kept that from me. And then, then they just all of a sudden popped it up that well, your uncle was a bootlegger, and the other one was a you know was a was a was a maker. So yeah, it's, it's I think if you have roots, you know, in the South, and you're you're probably going to find moonshine. And and why not play to those stereotypes? You know, and and I I'm agree. I, I'm a Southerner, and um, and I should also note that. We both wear bow ties. <laughs> we do, and which there's is, which are awesome. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, required by law in the South. Um, yep. So there's a, a picture of the two of us when I got to meet you recently, and I'm going to include that in the show notes at, at marketingbookpodcast.com. So awesome. This just uh, you know a lot a lot of special meaning here. So before we get started on the book, I was wondering if you could tell the listener about Ernest Dichter, the mm. Austrian. Yes. Well, uh, interesting how we kind of stumbled on onto him is that John Moore, who is a, a, a co-author on the Passion Conversation uh, and a, a, um, a co-partner here at Brains on Fire and, and also a very, very good friend, years ago when he was still a consultant, um, we one of the things that we would banter back and forth was word-of-mouth marketing research and and our biggest thing of why we bantered back and forth is how in the hell to understand it. It was such um, scientific. It was based on diagrams. And as a marketer, it left a lot of room for us to really um, misunderstand it and come up with a million uses not to, not to start 
implementing it into our practice and and Ernest Dichter, Dichter, however you can say it any number of ways. Um, we we stumbled on some research, started digging. He did some amazing motivational research that really a lot of people either totally believed in him or they thought he was a quack. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the things that, that we now um, are, you know, really are thankful for him for is he, he understood that women played a key role in the buying of automobiles, which at that time they did not. And so he was instrumental, instrumental in marketing to women, which led to the idea of that wonderful clock that we have in a car. Um, he thought, you know, maybe people need to know what time it is as they're driving on the road. So he really dug in and understood people. And, and so he did a lot of motivational-based research and marketing. A lot of people believed in it, and some didn't. But um, we kind of fell in love. John and I fell in love with him, and and we've been able to do you know a lot of talks about that, and and we wove some of that into the book. That was inspiration that led us down to finding the triggers um, of, of the motivational triggers as to why we talk and share on behalf of a brand or an organization. So he, Ernest, led that path. So he wrote uh, a Harvard Business Review article, it looks like in 1966, yep. and uh, he contended that if people perceived a brand as a friend, if the brand could project a voice to match, consumers would consider it to be more authentic and trusted. And it was really fascinating. And I, uh, before we get further into the, the title of the book, Passions and Emotions, I wanted to talk about a few rational aspects of word-of-mouth marketing for all the left-brained sure. listeners out there. A lot, of, a lot of marketers are very left-brained. And the book is the, the book is more scientific than I think people will realize. Uh, there's a lot of research and psychology and science in this. And one of the things that it talks about is how Oh, there's so many tidbits. One of them here talks about how McKinsey and Company determined that word of mouth is responsible for up to 50% of all purchase decisions, mm-hmm. whereas advertising is only 22% of all conversations people have. And word of mouth conversations, 78% are sparked by something else. Yeah. And But wait, there's more. Because I don't want people thinking this is like some squishy branding concept. This is really, there's a lot of meat on these bones here. The Keller Fay Group, who you referenced several times in the book, found that Americans will mention specific brand names about 60 times every week in conversation with others. And they also said 90% of all word-of-mouth conversations about brands happen offline. And I think there's a common misperception that Word of mouth, oh, it's it's very much an online phenomenon, but it, it's it's really uh, very much the opposite. So in the book, you talk about how you can't choose your advocates; uh, they choose you. Can, can you explain what that means? Sure. Yeah, there's a a couple of points I want to kind of feed off of what you said. So hopefully, I won't lose. You know, being Southern, we also kind of we like to storytell, go off on a tangent. So I apologize. Yeah, just pretend we're sitting on the yeah. porch visiting. You know, you know the interesting thing in, in the those numbers. You know, we we have these things where we go. Well, we're always online. That can't be right. 
and then there's also a lot of crazy things too that back up to that is so how do we measure that and how do we get an ROI and I think that is a big struggle with word of mouth that we've had a little bit of a difficulty to to come up with those hardcore ROI things because so much of word of mouth does happen face to face I mean all of the, the folks that are going to listen to this on the podcast and Douglas you and myself you know think about how we learn things that we end up um, going to participate in, whether that's a restaurant, a movie, um, a, a place to go on vacation. We do read about it, and sometimes we'll read a review, and that's fine. But if we hear it directly from a person, a person that we trust, and we're able to see their emotion in their eyes and how they tell a story about it, we're like, that jazzes us up. We're like, sign me up for that. I Even if it's to- a stranger I don't know, and they're telling yeah. me about it, I don't think there's anything much more powerful unless I knew them. Right. And, and so, you know, you, and today, I, I, so, so here's, a, here's something to keep in mind. And my wife and I, is, my wife is a, is a very good online shopper. But it's real interesting because I'm in the business. Um, she goes and she reads a product review. It's got four and a half stars and there's about 80 reviews on Amazon. And, and she'll go, you know, I'm thinking about this rice cooker. We'll look at this. But then there's this other one that's got five-star reviews, but it's only got like 30. And I said, well, have you started reading all the reviews? And she said, yeah. She goes, you know, there's a couple of them that have said I'm, I'm giving an honest review because I received the product to be able to get in in, in, re, in kind because so that I would give an honest review whether I liked it or not. And I said, well, I, I told her I scratched that product off because that automatically tells me – um, I want something a little bit more authentic. So, you know, we've done a great job of building tools where people can um, can review stuff. And I use those reviews all the time, whether I'm looking at tires for my car, I'm looking at a hotel, um, um, a, a wide variety of things. But I, because I'm in the business, I know that there's ways that that can be rigged a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to go and find out, do I know somebody else? Does somebody else know this? So, you know, I think those numbers are a good gut check for us that today, if we want to build a, a community, if we want to look at increasing the word of mouth for our brand and our organization and, and, and by word of mouth, what you're wanting to do is connect people form relationships with the people that support your brand. And that WOM is the mutually beneficial values that you both agree on that you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So that's what we want to find. And so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I, so I hope that we, we get people to understand that's a game of balance. It has to be balanced with online and offline. So the reason to your question is you can't pick your advocates. They pick you is that we started down this path of word of mouth marketing and community building back in the early 2000s in 2002 2003 we were hired by the state of South Carolina to develop a drug prevention program for teenagers we led the nation in smoking and um, at that time you remember the truth stuff the really cool stuff with the body bags and you know the, the advertising that they did they um they elevated to where all the kids looked like they came out of a, a rock, hip-hop band or an MTV show. They were just beautiful kids, and they were on trend. They were perfect. That's not the way kids come. 
Mm-hmm. Kids come with pocket protectors. Um, they're not a cheerleader. They're not on the football team. They could be on the debate team, the science team. They could be part of a group that um, picks up litter or reads to the elderly. And and so in the beginning, we tried to kind of be picture perfect and pick and choose our kids that would lead this movement. And And we quickly realized the kids that actually had passion for it, had their heart for it, were the ones that we probably wouldn't have chose because we were we were looking for something instead of setting the table for people to choose us. And and the beauty and the magic is in that. And so I think, yes, you can lay out um, what you're looking for in specifics, but don't be a don't be surprised to find that your best advocates are going to be the ones that um, are going to surprise you because you didn't think they would be. And and so our lesson we learned from the days of rage with teens was not to judge a book by its cover. And that's just not about, that's not about boy, girl, race or anything like that. That's about, you know, are they a nerd? Are they, what, what's, what's their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we believe they've got to be insanely popular. Can you explain for the listener the connection between passion and word of mouth marketing and how an understanding of uh, that can make their word of mouth marketing better. In other words, passion is this thread that goes through the book, and it's also the title of the book. So can you explain what you mean by passion? Because I, I think it's a great touchstone sure. to help people better understand how to effectively do this. Passion itself is a little bit of a tricky word, and there's all kinds of levels of passion. Um, I think at the root of passion, and we talk about this when I, when I make presentations, and we talk a little bit about it in the book, but at the root of, of passion is that if you believe that something whether that's an organization that you give a donation to, um, if it's your car, if it's a restaurant, if it's a book, um, if you are passionate about it, you're going to pass it on to someone else because you believe they're going to find it of great value to them. And and that passion is a Kickstarter to WOM. You, it, we, we love something and we hate something. And that's the stuff that we talk about, the stuff that's in the middle that, that we don't have a passion for, um, we don't talk about. And what's amazing is that some very mundane things we can get really passionate about. If we can set the table for getting people to explore that meaning and then talk about how a scissor helps you to create a beautiful piece of art. And so you can become passionate about that scissor because what it enables you to do. And, and, I, and I think sometimes we get, we get really caught up in marketing and in trying to get people to talk about us and forgetting that what people really want to talk about is themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where that passion comes in is that I, the, the goal of word of mouth is advocacy creating a living messenger for your brand or your organization that is passionate so much that they're going to go out and evangelize about the idea, a product, a cause, 
your service. And so, you know, passion is a key element of that because it, when we, if we want people to go out and talk on our behalf, whether that's online or offline, they need to, in a way, trust that when they recommend you, especially passionately recommend you, that it's, it's not going to look bad on, on them. And, and I've had situations to where I've been treated really well by a brand. I'm a total evangelist for their product. And and I'm sure you have too, Douglas, to where every now and then you're going to recommend it and they're not that person is not going to have the same experience that you did. And then it dings you because you go, God, am I going to recommend that again? Well, they had a burnt pizza. Um they um, weren't offered the same deal that I was, mm-hmm. you know, wh- whatever that may be. So, you know, so there, there's challenges in all that. So if you're a brand and organization and our goal should be to make sure that our customers are passionate, that they're evangelists for us because it helps them do whatever it is they want to do in their life. They want to have a great vacation. I want to feel good driving my car. I want to be safe. I want to have great, get great gas mileage, but I want to be able to take a turn at, you know, fast, whatever that may be. Um, we need to help them find out what that is that they want to be. And that's what they're going to share. I'm passionately about, Mm -hmm. but, but also in doing that, we've got to make sure that we can walk the talk <laughs> need to deliver on your promise. Yeah, because it, yeah, and, and I, I I won't digress, and but I I I, I am a avid super crazy Mini Cooper owner fanatic. I'm on my number two. Do you drive that to Disney World? We 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 have. Well, so so a, a very quick story on this, and this is a prime example. Um, my wife was looking for a new car. I had just gotten my new car, my new Mini. And she liked it, and she was talking about, well, do I get a Honda again or a Toyota? Or And I said, well, how about a Mini Countryman? And so we went and looked at it, and she goes, oh, I like this, but I don't like this color. So we ordered one. We, they found one in black, and they brought it in. So we signed the papers. She's driving home. She calls me crying. The stereo stopped working. Literally two miles from the dealership, the stereo stopped working. Hmm. So she comes back, finds out there was something wrong. They have to replace it. She goes two weeks without a radio. And to this day, three years later, that has damaged her value of that car. She loves the car and everything else, but she won't forget that. And and she pins it to me. Well, you talked me into this. This is a great car for you. So you know, I, I don't know if that's a, if that if people will get that. But you know, we we've all faced that. And so when we talk about this conversation, this passion conversation, you know, it it does come with peril. And but I do think it's like love. That if you love something, we can't help it we, because we really believe it's going to make a difference for somebody. So that's why we're passionate with the word of mouth that we share about the things that we love. Mm-hmm. In the book, you talk, uh, and again, this is the part that was a little more scientific than I was expecting. You talk about the three motivations for people to talk uh, about businesses and causes, and they are functional social and emotional. And in the book, it's almost laid out like the periodic yeah. table. But can you talk about uh, just an overview of those three, functional, social, emotional? It's really uh, integral to the 
the, the book. Absolutely. Um, that came from, I stumbled on a paper that was written in 2011. It was an international paper on what were the motivational triggers for word of mouth. And um, these scientists said we, we believe with researching all over the world what some triggers are. John and I took the research paper apart, and we were like, wow, this is our belief model at Brains on Fire. That at the heart of almost everything that we that we talk about, there is a functional motivational trigger. So, Douglas, if you ask me, so why Mini Cooper? Uh, functionally, I could say I was in a car wreck four years ago. My first Mini Cooper woman rear-ended me at 45. Um, it has six-plus airbags. Um, it saved my life. The engine dropped. Um, I would have a functional conversation with you about it. I could also say it gets great gas mileage. Um, that's a functional conversation. But then I start changing it to where I start getting emotional and I start talking about, you know, what I can say is, well, it did save my life. But also, too, I feel great driving it. I love driving that car. Mm -hmm. I love the way it takes a turn. And then there's Mini Cooper as a brand and how it signals something unique about my preference of automobile. I wave at other people that have a Mini. Mm -hmm. That's a social signal. And so these triggers um, are appear to be complex, but they're rooted in what we do every day. It's and, and so the interesting things, especially like with social signaling, is that we've got two of these triggers. Uh, look at think of functional as kind of the middle ground. It's the nuts and bolts of what we have every day to interpret the world. But emotional and social flip on either side so that um, when we're face-to-face, -face, and, and Douglas, when you and I have lunch and you ask me a question and I ask you a question, we are in a personal dialogue that is of a continuous conversation. So we're more prone to talk about things that are more personal and more emotional. And that's critical because we also trust that very highly. But when we're online, it's a public forum. You know, think about Twitter and Instagram and how we have to share things um, in a way that make us look bigger to get more attention. You know, it, to say, this is what's cool about me. This is this, this is that. That's why we use avatars. We do things like what people used to put the Live Armstrong band. The yellow band, that's a social signal. Mm -hmm. Your Starbucks cup is a social signal. You went to Western Carolina, so the catamount. Well, I went to, to VMI. 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 That's right. I went to oh, Western Carolina for a, a grad degree, but well, VMI. And I knew that we were going to get into the Southern Conference at some yeah, point so, here because so, you're, you're a Furman man. But anyway, that's a topic for another discussion. But 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 those are classic social signals. You mm -hmm. know, the, the, being a cadet from VMI um it, there's a lot of social signaling goes in i don't you know if you go to the citadel there's a whole thing with the ring and there's there's iconography so social signaling is really really critical and important because sometimes we think of design as being after the fact when we're looking at community but we really believe that an identity that that you will socially signal and wear proudly that will say i am a um, this this speaks to what I believe is critical mm -hmm. and is interesting, and and brands that that do that and get it, you know, they do a damn good job. So you know, that's I hope I didn't 
complicate make that sound too complicated but you know those three motivational triggers they're around us all the time we use it it's just that we don't think of it that way but if we do i think it can help us build um some interesting dynamics into our community and social media uh marketing mm-hmm. and when reading the book and i and i learned about the functional social and emotional there there was a little bit of a head slap going on there because i was going of course now I see. <laughs> that's how that's how it works. So it was a you know a little bit of the the curtain being pulled back, uh, so we could kind of see how all that how all that fits together. Um, let me ask you a couple other uh, quick questions before we uh, wrap up that I think the listeners will find interesting. How is every marketing problem a people problem in disguise? Well, you know, we we talk about it from the the uh, in the book from the aspect that you know if, if people will say like we've got a we we've got a product problem. Our products um, aren't being used well. They're being used by people. So let's look at that. What's what's people's problem with the product? And and, and so it inevitably with the 10 plus years that we've been doing this um, it gets to the point to where there is a there's a person problem related to whatever the marketing issue is that we've got to tackle say it's um, the whole issue of family literacy and and when we started working with the National Center for Families uh, Families Learning which was actually National Center for Families Family Literacy at the time um, their their belief in how we go about tackling the the literacy issue of families was to get people to just to just read a book, and so the book was going to be the tool, and that's fine. And maybe we could have built a program on getting people to read more books, but we asked you know we asked our client to take a step back and say, what is the systematic approach to learning? You have to inspire people to wonder and to be curious. So let's start with people first. Let's inspire them to wonder out loud and have a wonder of the day. So, you know, part of that is, is that if we, if we, if we don't think of people as being who we need to provide the solution for, we start really quickly developing tactics Instead of finding ways to find something that's mutually beneficial to the brand and the person that they need. Because behind every smartphone, every iPad, every laptop, we think of this amazing technology and it's beautiful. But there's a person touching the key in the screen. Mm -hmm. So even with that, even with social media, we forget that it is my Instagram channel. It's not yours. I want to follow you because you've got cool stuff, um, food group or craft beer company or J Crew. I love what you do, but but it's still it's my channel, mm-hmm. and and that's still probably the purest channel out there that hasn't been taken away. But we we just we just again we have a tendency to um, really quickly get into the tactics and think about mechanisms and tools and and for and forget about. That there's a person over there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and why? Why do they care? Why do they care? And and that's the fun thing. This this is why we should go out and and have events and meet our customer, find out what makes them tick. You know, why do they like our product? Do they not like it? What? And then beyond that, the context of their product. Um, where does that 
that product fit into their life. So that's what we mean by that. Let's go a little bit deeper. Let's let's you know let's dig a deeper hole instead of a wider hole. Let's make sure that we understand how we fit into their life, then go about building you know the the marketing program. Let's let's have an understanding of the people. And that's what we mean by that. Not really anything that's super scientific other than our belief is that if we have a real understanding of, of where XYZ fits into a person life, we've got a greater chance of, of building a marketing program that is going to include them. Well, I thought it was one of the most powerful concepts about you know every marketing problem is a people problem, and I, I found that to be so true. It's simple to explain, probably one of the most difficult things for marketers to deal with. And on the topic of people, can you explain a bit about how sharing online is different from sharing offline? Sure, uh, and I'll, I'll see if I can. I can do this correctly. You know, what, what I, I, from the book perspective, um, I think one of the really interesting things, and I don't know that we that we dug into it enough, is that when we're going about thinking about a marketing plan, um, we do need to understand today that we talk in two in, in two distinctly different channels. When we're online. It is a discontinuous channel for a conversation. You and I decide how fast and what we want to say, and we can we can take our time. If you ask me a really in-depth question through email or a post on a forum, it's, it's my choice of when I answer that. I have time to think about what I want to say. I can decide how smart I want to be, how nasty I want to be, um, how positive, whatever it may be. But when we're face-to-face, and and I was mentioning earlier, we're in this continuous conversation mode. If we're at lunch and you ask me a question, I said, Douglas, I'll, I'm going to wait till the end of lunch to answer that question. You know, th- that might happen in some instances, but you're going to, that spontaneity of face to face, it's not going to be very fun for you. And so th- those channels are very, very different. And so, you know, we, we, we need to understand that, that we've got this continuous conversation mode, which is um, on the phone and face to face. And basically, every form of electronic, our email, our texting, um, what, whatever we do through social media, those are all discontinuous. So we have a tendency to craft it to make us look smarter and in a better light than when it comes to that face-to-face reality. It's spontaneous, and, and we, we see reality. Um, you know, it, It's just easier to see. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that answers your question, but I'm, I went into the technical aspect of it. But that's at the heart of, of where those channels are so different. Yeah, and I think uh, – so when, when it's uh, offline, it's a little more uh, emotional. And yes. when we're – Online, it's a little bit more broadcasting. Social. Yeah, yes. and, and yeah. I think yeah. that ties back to why word of mouth is so powerful, because you've got that emotional element, and it's authentic. It's sincere. Uh, it's just harder to um, capture it in a bottle. It, it is, and, and, I, and, and I won't 
I won't lie that you know in, internally some of our some of our quotes that I think we get tired of saying, but they're they're really really true. That we start every project with we don't know what we don't know, mm-hmm. and we go out. You know, I, I kind of like to think of myself as a cross between Yoda and Indiana, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. that I'm trying to find a way for our clients and what I, I would love to evangelize to the folks on the podcast is to be generous with your knowledge mm-hmm. and also wear the hat of Indiana Jones to be an explorer, to um, not be the expert. You know, that's the beautiful thing of Yoda. Yoda, when he, you know, Luke Skywalker was the hero. Your customers, they're the hero. So how do we get them there? So how do we do that? And and so, as you said, this isn't something you can quickly put lightning in a bottle. And I think that's the challenge of community and, and, and word of mouth marketing is it, it's a dirty job. You've got to dig in and you're dealing with people and people are messy <laughs> and they, they just are and but that's beautiful because if you do it that way um, it helps become a mirror for your culture and and I think as I look back if I retired or stopped doing something tomorrow the thing that would do my heart the most good and probably the things that we would look at as being the most successful is how going out and digging up people that were evangelists for a brand and organization helped to change the culture of that organization or brand. And that's a beautiful thing. And we always used to say from our first book is that if you got a bunch of people from your company together with a bunch of your customers, would they have something to talk about? Would it be a party? Would they like each other? And and I happen to think that's that's critical. Right now, I'm working with two brands that we're, that we're building communities for in the future, and we've been on the road with them, with their customers. And there's, God, they just, they love each other. There's a, there's a spirit and a soul there that, that's exciting. Now, does that guarantee success? No, but they get it. They get that they're, um, there's something there with bringing the everyday folk up to an empowerment pedestal to talk about why they love that brand and how it fits into their life. And it's genuine. It's not, it's not brand driven. I do think you need to do that too. Sometimes you need to reach out to an influencer or a in quote ambassador to help ignite and fuel a community. You have to look at all kinds of different ways to do that. But at the end, We've got to have a plan to lift people up if we want to build a community. Not everyone can stay in the passive stages of they just like our posts. That's not going to get you where you need to go with the ROI that most brands and organizations need. They're going to have to have a way to lift people up to feel like they are owners of the conversation as much as the brand. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I got preachy. Sorry. You know, it's, it's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, Gino, uh, first let me apologize to the uh, listener. I forgot to start the stopwatch at the beginning of the interview, so we may have gone a little bit long, but time kind of stood still for me anyway. Um, How can listeners find out more about you and your book? Well, they can go to brainsonfire.com. We have a blog. I am 
not a good blogger. I plan on trying to do that more often. But if you want to see a little bit of the world, I do take photos when I'm out on the road doing insight and stuff. So um, if you go to, if you search for me, Gino Church on Instagram and Twitter, um, there and so that's a little bit of the inside of the kimono but our blog is a wonderful place to um, check in on us and see what we're doing we're pretty transparent mm-hmm. um, and so that that's that's where i would start well and we'll include links to all that at, at marketingbookpodcast.com the name of the book is the passion conversation understanding sparking and sustaining word of mouth marketing our guest has been gino church gino Thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast bookmarks and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the entrepreneur, author, and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune.